Welcome back to the Love You Always podcast with myself, Betta, and Twistle. It is such a joy doing this. I have really found a new love for podcasting because it gives me the chance to share incredible people and their stories with all of you. This episode is with the one and only Corey Hale. Corey has an extraordinary background from working as an investment baker at Goldman Sachs and UBS and then expanding her talents as a TV producer for CNBC's top-rated shows and being an international producer for Bloomberg TV. Her most recent endeavor and commitment is being the CEO and co-founder, which she actually calls herself the Chief Evangelist Officer of Culture Bakes, a digital news platform redefining business and tech news for minorities through music. I absolutely love what Corey stands for and her leadership. In this episode, you will learn more about where Corey's motivation started and who she describes herself to be, honesty, and how loneliness comes with the achievements and entrepreneurship journey, accepting failure and leaning into her fear, embracing what she calls agape, which is just a style of love for her people, company, and her work. Her greatest expression of love. And listen to the very end. I promise you will be very inspired and want to dream bigger and love harder. Enjoy this episode, and I will see you on the other side. Okay, welcome. I am so excited to have this conversation with you, Corey. Before we get started, I do have one question for you. Are you 100% committed to being your full self during this conversation? Yes, 100%. (laughs) Woo! I love asking that question just to kind of set the tone. Um, Amazing. Well, let's get started by, I really like just introducing my guests by themselves. Like I love for them to speak to who they are rather than me trying to fill the words and fill the space with who you are. So without any identity, even if you don't want to bring in your job title, like before we even get to the work part, who, who would you describe yourself as? Oh, I feel like this is like starting deep. (laughs) We're going (laughs) right. Easier to read the bio. Oh, who do I describe myself or who do I see myself as? I see myself as one of the like most passionate, like deeply loving, heartfelt individuals that you could ever like work with or come across in your life. If I could live on passion alone and it could sustain every part of my life, that is what I would do. That's me, Corey, the super passionate one. Mm, What a beautiful way to introduce yourself. Do you mind sharing a little bit more of where that started? Have you always been that way ever since you were a little girl? Has that come more clear to you as you've been independent and owning your own business? Or when did that really start? Well, I would have to actually reference my mother for this because if she were here, Aveta, she would say, oh, it definitely started from the time she was a little girl. And she would tell you the story about 
one of my early dance recitals when I was four or five years old and little girls, we have to wear those pink tights with our leotards. And I did not want to help putting on my pink tights because I was a big girl and I could do it by myself. And what would my mother know about putting on pink tights? And she said, fine, Corey, you do it. And what did I do? I put a hole right there, big hole in the middle of the knee, right before the performance. I'm sure probably 10, 15 minutes before, but did I stop? No, I looked at her and said, that's fine. It's just a new style and went out there and was the best one in the class in the performance. But in terms of like leadership and like, I was passionate about dance at that time, but I was passionate about being able to express my independence, right? Even if it did fit into someone else's mold or their form or identity for me, I wanted, including my mother at that time, though, looking back, I should have just let her help me put on the pink stockings because I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I always wanted to be able to step into my full self at whatever phase of life I was going through at the time. And it makes me extremely like happy, but I can also say that at times that type of independence, that type of pursuit, which you can dip into later, it also can breed a little bit of loneliness as well. Wow. I hear this like common thread, even as a young girl that you just wanted to almost like self-express, even if you didn't know how, or, or like, even if it was a totally new environment, you wanted to, you wanted to do it on your own. Yes. I absolutely felt like I, I needed to do it on my own. And I think as I matriculated, as the more mature people would say throughout life, I, you know, have realized that it's been a great attribute that at a young age, I didn't know how to identify, right? I didn't know what to call it, especially when you're a young girl, when you're, you know, assertive and strong and passionate and exhibit independence, that's not always like welcomed. Um, in many rooms from being a young child, if it's in the sports arena, I was very much a tomboy growing up. If it's in the dance arena, if it was in regular school, in class, like always being like maybe more of the smart one or the one willing to go after things like that wasn't something that people would always like pat you on the back for, which is good. Um, as my three-year-old niece does, like a lot of times she'll just clap for herself. And I'm like, yeah, girlfriend, because look, the world is not going to clap for you. So yeah. the sooner you learn to pat yourself on the back and give yourself a hand clap, like you're better off. <laughs> I love that. And so really what I'm hearing is that when you were young, you had this self-expression and also drive to just be independent and learn and pave your own path, whether that meant standing alone. Like, and I, I, I would love to hear a little bit more about what that sense of loneliness and maybe did that come from when you were a child of wanting to overachieve and stand out and do your best? Or did that become more present as you got older and you noticed, you know, maybe there was a separation or uniqueness between how you viewed yourself and how you wanted to live your life compared to maybe some of your community or your friends. Yes. I think it's actually a combination of perhaps all of those things. However, they just appeared at different points in my life at different stages. I think 
as a very young girl, um, first of all, I have an older brother who's 18 months older than me. So we're very close in age. So when you're the younger child, right, you're always trying to keep up with what the older child is doing and, you know, trying to like prove that like you can be, you know, a part of whatever the situation is and you can kind of hold your own, like you're not some little kid who, you know, needs babying and that type of stuff. So I think at an early age, that's probably where it started. And then I was raised by like a super strong single mother. So my brother and I, we actually had quite a bit of independence, but I will say focused independence because my mother did not play that. <laughs> she was not about that life, but she really instilled in us the ability to be able to tackle things on our own at a young age. And so I think that type of at-home support and structure around our daily lives made it easier for me to go out into the world. And by the world, I mean, I was like seven or eight. So I mean, like the school, <laughs> the schoolyard. Yeah, um, the world. Was, right. The world at that time, as big as my world or as small as my world was better yet at the time. But to be able to go out and be confident, right. in what we were doing and know that even if we weren't necessarily like always right on top of things, my brother and I, that I, Corey, as like this young little black girl would be able to figure things out, right? That ability to say, hey, like, I don't know, but look, I'm pretty smart. So I probably can figure something out along the way. And I think that type of stuff carried me kind of throughout my life so much so that when I was a, a young analyst or associate, I can't remember at this time at Goldman Sachs, I remember this senior um, leader, this lady said to me, we were working on a, on a um, short-term assignment for the investment bank. And she said, you know, you're very adaptable, Corey. And I was like, what? I was like, first of all, I didn't know if it was a compliment. Cause like, it's a weird type of work environment and culture there. I was like, is that a compliment or like, no, nah. she's like, no, like you're very adaptable. And she's like, it's a really good thing. She's like, it's going to take you far in life. And I was like, well, what do you mean by that? She's like, you do change better than most people could ever dream about accepting changes. She's like changes in environment changes, obviously in your job, your professional career, especially that assignment that we were working on. She was like, you just kind of roll with it because at that time, like everyone that worked on that project was either a managing director or a partner at the firm. And I was the only junior person on the entire team. And she was like, but you handle it really well. She's like, nobody even knows that you're not on the same level as the rest of us here. And I was like, hmm, I just kind of put that in the back of my mind and thought, okay, yes. What that doesn't explain though, to the point about loneliness earlier is that I think growing up, I may have been lonely, but I didn't know what that was. Mm. That makes sense. I didn't know what that was. I didn't know how to embrace or fix or change or move through that type of emotion or even more importantly, how to grow through that type of emotion, which then in my adult years, I spent uh, lots of years in counseling and, and now I'm better. <laughs> mm. I don't mean I'm better in that sense, but I'm better equipped, right? To handle those sort of things when they come along. Because the what I didn't realize at the time is that when I became an entrepreneur and was on my own, that, which it actually started in my entrepreneur phase when I helped to launch another media company, I remember feeling these bouts of loneliness creeping up again. And I said to my then manager at the time, I was like, 
God, it's a really silo position being a producer and a news anchor down at the stock exchange. And he was like, yeah, I know what you mean. He was like, there's no team environment. There's no one you're working with. And I was like, yeah, like I, I mean, I spent my days eight, nine hours a day talking to a black hole known as a, obviously a camera, mm -hmm. but like, there was no one else around. There's no studio audience. There's no applause. There's just traders behind me. They don't care about anything um, going on. And you're just sitting there by yourself. And I'm like, gosh, like after, you know, several months, a year or so, you start to feel like, gosh, is there anyone else around? Is it just me? And then going into entrepreneurship, which is a really like roller coaster of emotions in and of itself, but also can be a very lonely road because you spend so much time in the work that you're doing and you are, you love the work and you're passionate, even though it's not necessarily always paying off. And then sometimes you look up and you're like, gosh, when was the last time? Like I actually had a conversation with someone that didn't have to do with the business. Like when was the last time I talked about just anything else? When's the last time I went to lunch with someone that wasn't a business meeting? Like where are those connections at and how have I lost them in this process? And which is a different type of loneliness, but you feel it and you feel the way that it kind of enters into other parts of your life outside of work. And that's when, you know, you can get to some real lows when you can't see outside of the, of the smog, um, that mm -hmm. is surrounding you while you're building, you know, your, your baby building up your business to be the next great, whatever it's going to become. Wow. Yes. I really appreciate how you shared such vulnerability around loneliness loneliness, working in a corporation, in a very successful corporation, in a very successful role, and also loneliness and how's that, how that translates to the entrepreneurial path. And especially in the beginning, when you're feeling so passionate and so excited about, I finally have the opportunity to create this thing, this, this life, this baby that I've been dreaming of. And then you get into the weeds and you start to develop it. And like you said, it doesn't always pay off. And then as the loneliness starts creeping into other areas of your life, that's when it can become, like you said, pretty daunting and, and a little bit, um, it, it actually very challenging, not a little challenging, very challenging. And so I'm curious for you, like, as soon as you had that awareness of like, oh, this is impacting my relationships, the connections I have with other people, how did you, how did you work with that? Gosh, I, <laughs> it was a journey. And let me say, I still feel like I'm on it. <laughs> I wish mm -hmm. I could tell you that I'm on the other side, but I am so not like a hundred percent on the other side, but I'm in a better place. And, you know, as I referenced earlier, I feel like I have tools to, that I'm equipped with to handle um, these situations when they arise, because I think that it's always going to be a thing for me in my life. And I think it will continue to manifest in different ways. And so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you don't have to get ready if you stay ready. So I, you know, I'm constantly doing these like mental health check-ins like, Hey, you know what, actually this Saturday, like we're not going to do any work. Not only we're not going to do any work, 
we're not even going to open our computer. We're not going, I mean, we can like scroll through like the spam email and like clean that out, but like, we're not going to respond to anything and not because yes, of course it could be responded to, and that might get something moving a little bit, but then also like the world isn't going to end if this doesn't happen. And early on in my business, which has been around for four and a half years now, I had um, an executive coach. And I remember he said to me, which it probably has not been until this last year of me entering into the fourth year of this business where I've been able to like fully own and accept this. But early on, he said to me, Corey, you know, if for some reason culture banks fails as a company, you are not a failure. And I was like, well, of course I am. It's my business. And then my business failed. Like, this is my baby. Like, this is all I have. Like, mm. if that falls apart, I mean, this is me and like this particular form of news and like this multifaceted approach. Like, uh, this is everything that I have ever done in my career. I've poured into this company. And if it falls apart, like, I couldn't be anything more than a failure at this. And he was like, I'm telling you now that you're not a failure. He was like, and you're so early on in this journey. He was like, because if for some reason the company doesn't work out, he was like, people will look at you differently. And I was like, no, they'll just see this girl who left this successful startup and couldn't make her own startup work. Like, that's what they're going to see. He was like, no, they're going to see someone who left a successful startup, a former investment banker who then went out on her own and built a company. He was like, it doesn't matter if the company lasts or it doesn't last. He was like, the conversations now that you can be a part of in terms of overall CEO strategy, corporation direction, he was like, those are things that people perhaps would have never looked at you to do before you became the head of your own company. I was like, yeah, 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 whatever, sir. Like, no one's going to care about that. They're just going to see the girl who couldn't make a successful company on our own. And I will say now that I've been in this a very long time, by very long, I mean, like I said, four and a half years, but anyone who runs a startup knows it's like dog years, like it feels like a lifetime. Uh, mm -hmm. But since I've been in it for so long, I just really at the top of this year, finally understood what he meant, where I could look at myself in the mirror better. And I literally did this and I said, if this company and the company's doing better than it's ever been since I started in this past year and a half. And I said to myself, if this company falls apart tomorrow, like I'm going to be okay. And I meant it. And I know that I'm going to be okay. But if you would have asked me that probably even this time last year, I'm like, eh, I don't know if I'm going to be okay. <laughs> like, I feel like I probably would be, but I can't fully commit to being like, Corey's not going to like end up depressed and like feeling lonely and ashamed and all those things that bring you worry and grief and pain and how I've learned to really put all of those things in a very tiny box because they represent such a small part of who I am overall. Woo! I'm over here doing like <laughs> claps with my fingers. Um, yeah, I hear the transition that occurred in your thinking. Right. And first, I'm going to definitely share culture banks and everything in the intro, but let's give it some voice. So yeah. before I ask a little bit further into the inner work and behind that, share, share what you do as a CEO and share what culture banks is, because 
it absolutely deserves a voice. Yes. Well, I'm happy to, of course, evangelize on behalf of Culture Banks. I call myself, even though I'm the CEO, I call myself really the actual chief evangelist officer for the company. I just switched out the word executive because that is what I do most because it is my baby and I am passionate about it. And what we do at Culture Banks is really connect business news to the everyday person, specifically focused on the black and brown community. So what we like to say is we do business news for hip hop cultures because for hip hop culture, excuse me, because we create market driven. So this is stock market driven folks, business, finance, tech and innovation news all told through a culturally attuned lens. And then we use music with all of our articles and our content to better help people make a more authentic connection. And so each article has a song attached to it that then spins out to a curated Spotify playlist. And it's one of the only business news platforms that is doing you know, culturally specific business news. Um, but if since we're all listening in right now, we just want to visualize for a second how Culture Banks works in its essence. Basically, if you think about CNBC, if CNBC as a platform was able to have a baby with Spotify's rap caviar playlist, that is Culture Banks in a nutshell. And I'm so happy that we are living in a digital age and time where we're able to do the things um, you know that we're able to offer our audience. And at its core, Culture Banks really is just a human capital empowerment tool, but we're using media, we're using financial literacy to get closer to our North Star as a company, which is find ways to start to move the needle on closing the racial wealth gap. And the way we do that is through a little bit of hip hop music and a lot of good financial storytelling. What a beautiful child you have birthed. <laughs> Like I truly you know, see it as you saw my baby, right? Yes, I clearly see the parts of you that are shining through this incredible corporation that you brought to life. Like even when you speak about it, your energy, the vibration of your voice, like completely changed. And so it is so incredible to witness it and know the impact you are having in the communities that so need a leader like you. And so I want to, so thank you for giving such an incredible description and I'm going to give some information in the bio and it, we might lead to this more, but I want to actually pause and go back to what you said before you introduced Culture Banks around the inner work that you were doing on your own, which with an executive coach, with potentially other support systems for you to be able to lead this organization with authenticity and love, what I'm hearing is love and drive. And so share with me a little bit more about that relationship and how you were able to cultivate that within yourself so that it then can spread and create a ripple effect throughout your organization. Yes. I feel like, um, we're as a woman, as a black woman in the entrepreneurial ecosystem, it's not enough to just be smart. It's not enough to just have passion or be compassionate towards if it's your brand, your audience, um, your corporate culture that you're building internally. You have to really have that, um, as the Greeks say, that agape style love, right? That 
undefinable love for the people that you are working with, for what you're building, because without that, right, we would all quit and throw in the towel because it's hard. It's hard every single day. And one of my favorite quotes from former President Barack Obama's hard stuff is hard for a reason. <laughs> like if it wasn't hard, then everybody would be doing it. Like you can't bury yourself right in the hardships of what's going on because you would easily lose your way. But when you always bring it back to love and how you express that, right? How do you show that type of love in your work? How do you show that type of love for the people that you work with day in and day out, right? It expresses itself differently. I think with our contributors, we have 20 contributors that sit all across the country here in the US. We have three in Africa. How do I show them that appreciation for the fact that they help to create the content, which is the backbone of culture banks and what we do day in and day out. And it looks different for each person. Some people want to make sure that they're, you know, recognized on social media. Other people want to make sure that um, my editor is sure to show me, right, the content and that it's not just the editor that's proofreading and getting it together that I, Corey, who started the company value, right? Mm -hmm. The work that they put in or value the growth that they've had as journalists, as contributors to our platform. And then for me, as the business grows, it's how do I show this type of love in a more monetary sense for them just to say that, hey, it's not just the heart, the passion, but like your work is manifesting monetarily for the business to help it keep growing and watching and reaching bigger audiences. So is that we give out gift cards quarterly? Do we just send people, you know, a little bit of money via Venmo here and there just say, hey, we appreciate what you're doing. Like we're not waiting to the end of the year to say what you're doing matters. Like we value that. Like that's the way that love shows up differently across the board. And then when I think about my sponsors and my partners, what does it look like to show the appreciation for them willing to invest their time, their company's energy, money, and resources in this little black owned media company is to say, Hey, if you're going to be in this city next week, like let's get together. Like let's have more of a authentic relationship that is not just based upon, you know, this transactional environment of doing business, because at the end of the day, people are just people, no matter where they're working, what they're doing or how they're moving through life. And I feel like going back to that love and having a genuine conversation with a person, not a person who can do this for you or mm. a person that you can do that for, but say, hey, just how are you? Let's grab some coffee. Let's grab an adult beverage, a glass of wine or something. And let's just have a conversation. We can get back to the business later. The way that that moves people and empowers them, myself included, is undeniable and something that I feel really filters the love like around the entire like culture banks ecosystem. Mm. Do you find that the way that you show up as the leader does create this opening or like almost like this window for other people to also take a stand if they 
want to voice their opinion or show more of a vulnerable side, whether it's, you know, needing help or asking for help or wanting to have just a more authentic conversation with another employee. Like, how do you think being categorized and as the CEO does impact the rest of your organization? Yes, definitely. The way that, which being your authentic self is still showing up when stuff is falling apart, Mm. (laughs) right? It's easy to show up where you feel on top of the world and everything is going great and showing that side, right? To everyone. And a lot of times you want to kind of regress back into your inner shell when things aren't going right, which sends out the signal to others that, Hey, like, we only want to see your good side. Like, mm. Don't come out when things aren't that great. Like, look, I'm not for people falling out and crying all over the place at work. Or, I mean, we're not really in an office that much these days. Like don't necessarily fall out all over zoom, have a little composure. However, it is okay to be like, today is not going that great for me for reasons that could be or could not be related to my job. But ultimately I'm a person. So it's going to impact everything that I touch. And I might just need a minute or I might need the whole day or two days and let me get my head together and take this mental health break. But when I show up, I feel like other people give themselves permission to show up mm. who they are, where they are, right? in whatever circumstance. And a lot of that is really because I've seen other people in past jobs and companies that I've worked for, not necessarily like mid-level people, but like the most senior, like C-suite people were always the nicest to me. They were always the most genuine. Even when I left Goldman Sachs to tell them I was going to try and become a journalist and I didn't know anything about it. And I know anyone who worked in the industry, it was literally the partners I had worked with that said, yeah, you should do that. And if it doesn't work out, like you could always come back to Goldman, but you might as well go now and give it a try. Like the worst that can happen if it doesn't work out and you got to come back and work here, which at the time I thought, God, to be the ultimate failure and have to go back to being like a regular banker, like, good God, why would I want to do that? What was the point of leaving? But it was their stories. Like some of them, like, Hey, I'm really jealous. Like back in the day, 15 years ago, I thought about doing X, Y, Z. And like, I just didn't have enough confidence to do it. But like, look, I'm telling you though, like if I could go back, like I would have given myself a shot. I would have, I would have tried because the worst thing you can do is wake up 20 years later from now, still working at Goldman, thinking about all the different things you thought about doing that you never gave yourself a chance to do. So in terms of showing up, I feel like it had been modeled both ways and people that had shown up and people that didn't show up for themselves who encouraged me to not be like them, basically, (laughs) to to not not show up Mm -hmm. for you. And I was like, huh, all right. Well, I mean, it's it's a weird way of motivating. I shouldn't say weird. It's different because most of the time people think about motivation from a space of, Hey, let me, um, you know, be inspired by something else that someone did. And those people were really like, be inspired by the fact that we didn't do it. And we're encouraging you to do it. Mm. Be, you know, so moved and encouraged. I always say my life is a, a tale of orchestrating grace. Like the amount of grace that has been extended to me and the way in which I need to show up 
through love and extend grace to other people is really going to be the title of my next book or my only book too. I haven't written it yet, but I always think that is like the way that agape love has shown up in so many different forms. And I am, but you know, a mere vessel to be able to hopefully give that back in some way. Beautiful. I cannot wait to read your book. Oh my gosh. It's going to take me forever to write it. Guys, I've been writing it in my mind for like 10 years. It's happening. I have chapter names. That means it's happening. It's, it's the body of work is already in motion. So when, sure you, when you're ready to write it, it's just going to flow right out of you. I hope so. One of these days. One of these days. You got to call me right away or email me. I'll be, I'll be, I'll be so ready. So as a final question, this is actually a question that came from one of my listeners and I absolutely loved it. And so I wanted to incorporate into, into our um, conversation. What is your highest expression of love? Ooh. What is my highest expression of love? Is this like a two-parter in terms of like what I give versus like what I feel like? Oh, how However I- you interpret it. How do I answer this question? Betcha, this is a deep one. (laughs) We started deep and we're ending deep. I know. My highest expression of love, I would probably say is living and walking in my life's purpose every single day, because Mm. that is when I am my best self for me and for everyone around me. Yeah, that's my highest expression of love because from that, I feel that God is continuing to order my steps to walk in my purpose that has already been destined for me and ordained for me. And that to me, there's no greater gift of love than the ability to be able to do this every single day. That was so beautiful. (laughs) And I feel like I received your love today because that's exactly what you expressed to me. Like this conversation was such a gift. Oh, thank you. I I hope that other people enjoy it as well. (laughs) Yes. And before we end, is there any like, hmm, is there any recommend recommendation or suggestion you would have if you were speaking to your younger self 10 years ago or five years ago when you were still in corporate and you had the thought, I know that there's something out there for me and I, it's, it's different and I'm scared. What would you tell that younger self? I actually know this because I feel like sometimes I still have to tell my current self this. Um, but I know what I would have told young 20 something year old Corey at Goldman Sachs or at UBS, I would have said, lean into the fear because falling will be your greatest accomplishment because you don't know where it's going to take you. So lean in. Oh, I'm like, printing that on a t-shirt and be wearing that. <laughs> Just lean into the fear, people. Like it's it's okay. Yes. Like it is okay. And if you're not afraid of what you're getting ready to do next, dear God, you are not dreaming big enough. You have got, it's got to wake you up in the middle of the night. Like, oh my God. Mm. 
like lean into that level of fear because that is where you're going to become your best self. Woo! Full body chills, a little sweat coming on in my hands. <laughs> I so feel that it resonates so much with my experience. So thank you so much, Corey. I will share in the episode notes of where can people can find you, but would love for you to share it yourself. If people can reach out to you, follow you, check out Culture Banks, where should they go? Yes, people should definitely um, check out Culture Banks. We can start there. It's all one word, Culture Banks with an X because we want to be cool, but also an homage to my favorite female founder, the CEO of Spanx, Sarah Blakely. Um, yes, that's why Culture Banks actually has an ex. Not many people know that. Well, all of you listening now, you guys know as well. But culturebanks.com, sign up for our newsletter. It's free. You'll love the content and then share it with someone else that you also love. And then if you want to see like what I'm doing, which is primarily Culture Banks day in and day out, but Culture Banks is at Culture Banks across all the social media platforms. And I am at Corey.Hale on Instagram. So follow me there, message me, tell me what's up. I'd love to learn about all new people. I mean, deep in my heart, I'm still a journalist. So I find people truly fascinating. Thank you so much. And maybe I'll have Sarah Blakely on this, on this podcast one day. <laughs> one day. Yes, it can happen. Speaking I'm planting the seed right now. <sighs> Well, you are such a gift. Your energy is so incredible. I cannot thank you enough for your time and energy and we'll be in touch. All right. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Wow. Isn't she inspiring? I love her energy and everything that she has really created from her life and how she is now spreading so much love and awareness and really curated news to such an incredible community with music. So definitely go check out Culture Banks, check out Corey. She's phenomenal and come back for further stories and people. We are so happy you're here. Thank you so much and we'll talk to you soon.